Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcons, Nine from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Back again. Back again, because we are talking two big films this week. The big release in cinemas is the new Wes Anderson picture, I Love Dogs or I Love Dogs. I'm very confused. It's such a clever play on words, isn't it? And isn't isn't Wes Anderson just all about cleverness? I know, so clever. You're so sexy and so clever and such a man. That tweed jacket. I know. Such a dude bro filmmaker, right? No one rocks a tweed jacket like Wes Anderson. And we are also talking about A Quiet Place. I'm sure Josh Krasinski can rock a tweed jacket. I don't know. We don't find out in this film. We find out a lot of other things that is later in the program. Emily Blunt can definitely rock a tweed jacket. She should have been rocking a tweed jacket in Sicario. That would be interesting. Um, that, I think it would be a bit hot for the locations in Sicario. I think it would just be hot, period. You know, I, I, I actually rewatched Sicario this weekend. I liked it so much more the second time. It's, an, it's, it's actually my favorite of his Frontier trilogy. And actually, in, Taylor in, Sheridan, for those playing at home. Yes. Yeah, just become the, the new phrase, I'll run into the ground. Well, he's, <laughs> well, he's, he's making a news. Stay of Soldado is coming out pretty soon. Pretty keen on that. Yeah, that that seems like one of the least amounted sequels. <laughs> Sicario is a good movie, but I don't think many people came out of that thinking like, "Man, I want to see Sicario too." Yeah, but like, do we need any more sequels of anything? Yeah, like, can should... we just end? Imagine can we just make a, a moratorium know, on sequels for the next ten years movie. to heal cinema? Um, yes. Well, aren't you glad we're talking about two original films? Except, aren't we doing the Avengers in two weeks? Oh dear, that's we, not a sequel, is it? It's the sequel to end all sequels. <laughs> but there's a sequel after that, so that'll exactly. Yeah, they're but... cleverly keeping out of the marketing that it's a two-parter. Oh, is it? Yeah, the next yeah, one's out a year later. Dude, yeah, this, this is happening. Yeah, no, I don't want to. We got another. I I just was excited that I might just you know get all my hate for Marvel out and then just be done with it. But I have to then contain it for one more year. Well, there are still no spoilers, should we start an a, uh, Avengers Infinity War death pool? I'm, I'm saying, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. W- will Robert Downey Jr. die in this one so they don't have to pay him in the second I, I, one? I think yes, but I also think Captain America's going to die. It's gonna, it has to happen. Because Chris Evans wants to leave these movies. <laughs> yeah, he, he's done. Well, you, you do. You do want to do I do. I'm, just, I'm sick of Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you guys now. You might not have heard it before, but... Yes. Me and Marvel, you know, not the best of relationships. The best and actually, like, you know, uh, talking of sequels that shouldn't be made, Deadpool 2, what, what is that? Oh, no, that looks that looks fun. And it's got Ryan Reynolds. It's talking of Deadpool. Girls. <laughs> yeah, talking Robert of Deadpool. Exactly. <laughs> Iron Man, Tony Stark. So we are, we're, as promised, we, are, we will be talking you about mean Tony Stark. Ooh, boom. So we will be talking about Isle of Dogs. But first, uh, we want to talk very briefly about 2SCR. Uh, we are doing a 2SCR supporters drive. We could not, week after week, bring you um, acerbic and wit-filled observa- hot takes on film without the amazing support of the station. They're a community station based at Macquarie and at Broadway at the 2SCR studio right next to UTS. So if you are a listener, new, old, young, whatever, please do call in or donate the donate address is 2scr.com slash donate we would absolutely love any and all support yeah any amount helps we need money basically to do all this stuff it's a totally volunteer driven station um (laughs) and that is lacking in the funds necessary to keep a radio station on the air (laughs) so please help us out we beg you but also at the same time i mean (laughs) Well, would you, we would be able to 
hear that laugh. That beautiful, exactly. beautiful laugh we had this week. Be without us. <laughs> what would you do? But like, yeah, like which other station can allow this sort of dang content on air week after week? We, we it allows for the most ramshackle programming to make <laughs> it to the airwaves. Well, City talking, culture needs this. We're obviously talking only about our show, exactly. which is which, which is how we pitched this show: ramshackle film. Everything. I mean, yeah. the diversity on this panel of like three dudes talking about film. No it's, other. Yeah, you'll place. never get to hear our jokes about how we're lacking a, a woman on the team anymore. And um, also, you'd miss out if Two SER folds tomorrow, which you know, who knows if it will without your generous support. You'll miss out on our reviews of Avengers: Infinity War, where we get to see whether our prediction was right. Oh, about who know. dies, and also our extensive Sydney Film Festival coverage, yes, which we're that, planning for June. That D- yeah. is coming. We're very excited. They just launched the first 30 or so films for the festival, what is going to be screening at the festival. It's looking good. Um, we did a lot of coverage last year. We're pretty excited for this year. We'll be doing interviews, reviews, rolling coverage day to day. We so want to bring you the best in. takes. Actually, yeah. I mean, uh, now being serious for a second, even though that's not in my nature, I think the amount of effort that the station allows us to put in and actually the access to me bring you you know the best kind of content and directors or actors or people who are completely vain and just giving access to them <laughs> so you can actually feel better about your lives or worse depending on who you are uh, this is exactly the kind of place we need to be i need so thank you i need the station to get media accreditation because i'm too poor to see all the films i need to see <laughs> need i need to see these films With all that bastard I'm a, here. I'm a, <laughs> that, that's deprived uh, the arts funding in this country is yeah, well, it's not the best. Yes, in an ideal country, we would be funded to provide you th- this beautiful show. But exactly. that's, instead, it's volunteer-driven and requires your support to continue. And if you would like to give your support, that address is 2SER.com slash donate. But as promised, we should be talking about movies. So we want to talk to you about Isle of Dogs, which is the new Wes Anderson film in cinemas this Thursday. There hasn't been so much irony since the description we just gave you of the station and our supporters drive pitch as there is in Isle of Dogs. I think it's such a perfect segue into talking about Isle of Dogs because the movie is rife with so much wit. Or actually on the nose, which I'm not sure which is which. There is a lot of wit. There's also a lot of actors. I had trouble counting the number of names in this film. I mean, of the five main dogs, it's Edward Norton, Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum, Brian Cranston, but then there's Francis McDormand, Greta Gerwig, Edward Norton, every single Wes Anderson stalwart. It's everyone. Yoko Ono. It's to the film's detriment, in my opinion, but we'll get to that. We will, because uh, this film essentially a young boy finds himself stranded on an island of the coast of Japan, which he flew to. It is the Isle of Dogs, where all the dogs, due to a flu of sorts, have been marooned on this island. And he finds five alpha dogs with the hilarious names Duke, Boss, King, Chief, and Rex. Yeah, they're all they're all kings. I thought that was a great joke, but no one in the theatre laughed tonight. It was so funny when they all start because they're all alpha dogs. They have to vote and everything. It's it's great. Great and, touch. And the basic and my and the boy finds these dogs. He's looking for his dog, and he lists these five dogs to help him find his best friend. But it's also a political drama about machinations and conspiracy theories in order to bring the dogs down because of an ancient clan 
uh, dispute against dogs that extends to the current day. And we have to ask why. I loved the original setting of this film. It was beautiful. It was fun. Visually, I will give it, it is stunning. And every moment spent with this boy and the five dogs, at least to the extent that we got to know, I feel we got to know one of them really well. The other four, not so well, was great. Until they literally just dump this and go into this political narrative, which feels more like a 30s, 40s tableau of like light satire. And I'm not sure why. Yeah, I found this a very strange film where I'm not really sure what Wes Anderson was going for. I'll give him some kudos for extending outside of his um, regular wheelhouse of like, fa- um, you know, family melodrama in a dry, witty style. But I think it's sort of to the film's detriment. The irony that's always been a part of Wes Anderson's aesthetic is ramped up to crazy levels here, where, it, in my opinion, it sucks out a lot of the comedy. Like, everything is so dry that it ends up not being funny and becoming one note in terms of its tone and ending up a little bit cold because it also holds these characters that are removed from us. Wes Anderson's movies have usually been very sweet and sentimental, but none of the characters in this film act as though they really care about each other much in order to maintain the this kind of distanced, ironic tone. At the beginning of the movie, as you say, it introduces us to these five dogs who are friends with each other, and it seems like the movie's... Oh, they're a pack, and it seems like the movie's setting us up for like a story of friendship where the boy throws a spanner into the works of their relationship and they go on an adventure together. But their relationships are never really developed, and as I said, they don't seem like they actually have that strong a bond. And then after spending a bunch of time setting up these characters, it throws them away to spend a lot of time on as you say, just many, many characters who often are in there for just one or two scenes. It seems like it's overstuffed with characters and tangents and plot threads. Um, So the result of that is that nothing is developed enough emotionally to really have the kick that it seems like it's setting you up for at the beginning. Um, Big moments that the movie is, you know, building to from the very start fail to really register on an emotional level. All of the focus of Wes Anderson's direction, I think, has been on the visual detail, which is immaculate. That Anyone who loves the art of animation should, I think, check this out because the detail is stunning. A lot of scenes um, seem to be in the movie only because Wes Anderson wants to show off the animation and wants to to play in this aesthetic playground. Um, but the result of that is, I think, a failure of storytelling. That's interesting that you mentioned uh, that kind of thing about political sort of satire taking away from the emotional heart of the film because I felt the complete opposite when I was watching it. I I thought the political aspect of the film was actually what made it a bit more interesting. Uh, In the credits uh, for the film, I realized this was co-written with Roman Coppola and Jason Schwartzman, and I could really see their influence a lot more in this movie than actually... This is less of a Wes Anderson movie than more of a... Coppola and Schwartzman movie, if it makes any kind of Shows sense. Shows their influence. Yeah. It does. It's, it's, you know, that kind of quick gag cutaway style, which is less with Anderson and more Schwartzman kind of... Ga- the gag setups are very Schwartzman-esque. It's, if anything, if it it's, any sense. it's a bit of a throwback to a style he was playing with maybe back in Rushmore as well. That yeah. He's moved a bit away from, like the fast cutaways... But I, I wouldn't say that the political commentary in the movie is always on the nose. In fact, there are a lot of subtle kind of nuances to political commentary which it's trying to make, which do get lost because so much of that narrative is on the nose. There is, you know, the overt metaphor which is extended about being an autocratic regime and what it does to people in brainwashing, you know, Orwellian to you know misuse a term which has been misused so many times in that kind of 1984 kind of 
idea and how that actually affects a huge group of people, but also I think the nuance of individual scenes and how they work out. For example, one scene that I particularly remember and I really, really enjoy is when they're discussing, you know, the group of people who are supposed to be cannibals, in this case, I'll not spoil who they're referring to, but then there is this visual shot of then cutting away to how livestock is served up in a very kind of visceral gag. And then you realize, hang on, who are they referring to as cannibals here? And that really, really plays upon the idea of that sentimentality and that sort of thing, which is very interesting. It's a cool idea. I I totally missed it. I just thought, oh yeah, Wes Anderson wants to show off the crazy detail of um, how sushi's put together and what we can do with puppets these days. Yeah, I think, to be perfectly fair, I think the... I, the first time I saw this uh, about a week ago now at Moonlight Cinema, it was a wonderful experience because there were hundreds of dogs, including a beautiful border collie, all behind me. But I would like to see it again close up because I do feel, yeah. as Chris alluded to, that the detail in the animation is so intricate. Seeing it again on the big screen, I enjoyed it more because, yeah, as I said before, it's a treat for animation lovers. But I'd like to pick up. We have a real fight now. I completely disagree with you, Virat. This uh, on the political side of things because. I feel this could have been a great political film if it had dedicated the entire run to being a political drama. And Wes Anderson has certainly shown us to be capable of this. And I noted Roman, I noted Roman Coppola was um, a voice actor in the film. I didn't realize he was a writer, but this makes a lot of sense to me now because one of the films I've always championed, and I feel one of the great horror stories of bad Hollywood distribution CQ. is CQ. It's a masterpiece. It's beautiful. And it's a danger diabolic remake of sorts. And this film has many political elements to it. It's a takeoff of the Che Guevara story and how it's treated in popular culture, except those aspects weren't handled nearly as well as the beautiful visual aspects. Yes, which fairly were taken from Danger all of, Diabolic. All of the effort was in the visuals. Absolutely, but that's the same thing here. I found this film endearing as a visual masterpiece, as something where I enjoyed watching the intimacy of the dogs interact much more than watching the humans interact. I feel a lot of the charm wore off as soon as we started to focus on these human characters when we may as well have spent the entire film with this one boy and his five dogs. It's intrinsically cold because the humans are held out of remove in the way that Wes Anderson treats them. It's more about, like, uh, some people have taken issue with this movie for perceived um, cultural uh, appropriation. Yeah, which is a big can of worms that we could discuss for a long time, but... Um, I definitely feel like the people were n- not meant to be empathized with. They were definitely held to remove. And it was th- that creates a little bit of a strange feeling when that goes along with Wes Anderson playing around with a toolbox of, you know, Japanese stereotype imagery. I agree. And I'd be the first one shouting cultural appropriation, cultural appropriation from the top of my lungs at any kind of thing. But actually, I do agree with Chris here because I think there was a lot of self-awareness from Anderson in how he used his characters. And also the references to classic Hollywood era movies that you find, you know, there's Citizen Kane, there is uh, Akira, yep. the animation yeah, there, that he really loves. And there's yes. a lot of Akira in this. There's actually. a lot of Akira, yeah. And the, the mix of people going on an adventure while being pursued by government forces meanwhile political machinations and some of the character designs and music cues are yeah owing a lot to akira there's a lot of um music cues and visual references also to kurosawa films there's a, a real kind of like seven samurai sense of framing around the beginning and um this this wasteland setting kind of recalls his dodas karen um and studio ghibli to an extent, to an extent scene as well, yeah. where the shadows are walking across the wall yes that's right and there's um there's re- a reference to the great wave um, you know, there's there's your sumo, there's your wasabi, there's your sushi, there's cherry blossoms yeah. and haiku. It's very much Mount Fuji. It's very much like the classical images of Japan 
all mashed together. But um, I don't but know. Also, I, th- I think if you're one of those film buffs or like film nerds, this is actually one of those. Okay, because we're talking about nostalgia, I think a few weeks back with Ready Player One. Mm. And I think about how to do nostalgia well and how to not do it. And I think Ready Player One was an example as to just not touch it in that way. But I think this movie actually does nostalgia pretty well. I feel in this film, it went into dealing with references without doing it so overtly, which is what Ready Player One did in a Abundance. This yeah. paid homage to it without imitating it too strongly, which I appreciate. Which is something that Wes Anderson's been doing for his whole career. He always has a lot of classic film references, and he shows his influences on his sleeve, but he also has a very original vision. Despite listing about a bunch of things that this movie is paying homage to, I'll say it still feels like a pretty original vision. I agree, because there's so much to actually unpack and actually savor on the screen. I felt I enjoyed it a lot more as a holistic experience than maybe you or you know, Chris did because I was going to say you, Chris, and Glenn did. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm over here. <laughs> yeah. So you know, because there's so much to unpack, and there's always is to actually enjoy in a Wes Anderson movie. Because just on a technical level, it it could not be understated yeah. how difficult it is to actually be you know set the frame in that Com- way. Yeah. Compositions, color work, camera movements, editing, rhythms are, are fantastic. I love the the detail of the art design. I recommend the movie just to savor as an aesthetic experience. But I wish I could have enjoyed it more and engaged more with it on a narrative and character level. Because that, that's where Wes Anderson's strength has always been, not just in his doll box aesthetic, as well-developed as that has gotten. And that was Isle of Dogs. It will be in cinemas this Thursday. Um, in a moment, we're talking about A Quiet Place. We do promise we'll bring the rest of this episode to you, but we're not sure if we can bring episodes in perpetuity. Because, oh, no. Yes, and that is why we have the 2SCR supporters drive. So please do donate. The website is 2SCR.com slash donate because we want to be able to bring to you. We have a few interesting episodes coming up. We're talking about the Irish Film Festival next week. We're doing the Avengers in a couple of weeks. But I'm actually particularly excited for the one in three weeks because it's one we've basically been planning since the show started. Is it the the Marvel thread of our continuing threads of David Lynch, Terrence Malick, and Marvel? It, it, it reaches its zenith, it its is, culmination? It is in one sense because what we are doing is, in three weeks, the anniversary of three oh, film Iron releases. Man. Right. Yeah, Iron Man will be 10 years old, Speed Racer will be 10 years old, and The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull will be 10 years old. Speed Racer is a movie I've been trying to get us to talk about on the show almost since it began, and uh, it looks like the chance is finally coming up, so don't take this opportunity away from me, people. So, Please yeah. help our show continue and help 2SER continue to provide you interesting cultural coverage. For example, Film Fight Club's uh, revolutionary take that the widely beloved Isle of Dogs is not that good. This, this is actually true. I, I have most no, of the you're wrong, Chris. Been... <laughs> it's pretty good. What are you talking about? It was all right. Well, I know most of the reviews have been glowing. I, I was surprised when yeah, I saw it. Yeah, me too. Um, it seems like it's lacking a lot in classical storytelling qualities for a movie that's receiving this much praise. But... Only Film Fight Club on 2SER can tell you this. So please do go to 2SER.com slash donate. Man, we sound so smug about ourselves when we, you know, it's a special show. It's like, give us us money because we're the best. Honestly. We need to keep on being more and more awesome every day. More and more of the best. You've actually hit the nail on the head, Glenn, because Iron Man and Speed Racer and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Mm -hmm. That is, come on, on Film Fight Club, 
the most ambitious crossover in all of history. And not Marvel's Infinity War. I'm sorry. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And the funnest part is we'll be doing it as if it were 2008. We'll be going back in time when George Bush was president. Kevin Rudd had just got in. Facebook just got really popular. Give them all your data, guys. All your data. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Cambridge Analytica. We've already uh, given up. Who? What? Are they around 2008? I don't know. But that is in a few weeks. But first, we are talking about... A Quiet Place, the new film from Josh Krasinski. It stars Josh... John, John Krasinski. John Krasinski. What did I say? John Krasinski. Excuse me. He does have a forgettable face and a forgettable name, to be honest. So Krasinski right. is pretty, pretty a memorable name. Yeah, but like John. It's like the most common John name. John Dot Smith. He, he's lost his kind of nebbish American Martin Freeman look here with this big beard, doesn't he? Well, he went specifically the Martin Freeman look because he became famous from the remake of The Office. And it is a remake. Exactly. It'll always be a remake, as yep. good as it is. Yep. But he stars and directs this film, which is quite remarkable, with em, also with Emily Blunt, who is his real-life partner. Yep. This is a Which horror- was actually the most surprising aspect when I discovered that. I'm like, how did that land that? Well, hey, anyway. They have, uh, <laughs> maybe she knew about his artistic chops as a director. Or like knew something we didn't. handsome boyish charm or whatever that means. Which Sorry, Pam, from does. The Office. Oh, Pam, she's great. The whole, the whole show is great. Anyway, that's TV with Film Fight Club. This is <laughs> A Quiet Place. And this is a horror film. It is a new original horror film set in North America. Essentially, the world has been populated scarcely now by humans, but by creatures who attack you when they hear you. They can't see you, but they can hear you. Uh, Krasinski and Emily Blunt's characters uh, have a small family. Their eldest daughter, played by Millicent Simmons, is a young deaf lady. And it's an interesting dynamic that evolves with her and dealing with creatures as with her parents and her younger siblings. Now, this film is first and foremost an amazing conceit. It's an amazing concept which is matched by, in my view, direction, production design, and the color of performances, but not in so many respects, unfortunately, the scripting and plotting, which leaves so much wanting throughout. Yeah, I agree. Oh, are you throwing to uh, Varad? Right? Well, I mean, yeah, Varad. So, yeah, yeah we a bit of a, there's a reason you, I wanted to throw to Varad. Yeah, how did you feel about this film, Varad? Were you keen to see this? <laughs> well, we struggled to get Varad to come to see this yeah. with us. Wow. To I, cut I, to the chase. I tried everything to avoid seeing this movie. Like, you know, I tried to hook up Kuruk. I tried to fall sick, but I couldn't fall sick. So I tried to get out of work. I tried to stay late. I was like, you know. Varad and horror films aren't the best of, of acquaintances. Yeah, like, you know, I'm a very squeamish. Uh, effeminate person when I'm watching a horror movie. Not that I'm not a squeamish person anyway, but He's like... wearing a pink shirt tonight. <laughs> it's a great shirt. wearing it really well. Yeah, I, I, I really I, like the shirt. I'm wearing an Ice House shirt, but it's like, you know, from an Ice concert ages ago. Yours is great. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> but like, when I'm watching a horror movie, I'm just like, I'm one of those people who tries to hide my face, eyes, and like, get contort my body in different positions while the action plays out on screen. So... But, so, to actually, because I had to see it, because, you know, these people just blackmailed me because you have to see it, otherwise you kicked out of the film fight club, whatever. We, we, ne- we, never, we never said that, but we're live. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever that means, you know. So I said, okay, I have to see this, but, you know, I just couldn't get myself to see it in the dark, because I'm also afraid of the dark and horror movies, so this was, like, the worst combination in the world. I'm going to give credit here, because this is actually a uniquely difficult horror film to watch, because in any horror film, you find yourself mimicking the characters, where it's clawing a chair or this or that. In this, um, Chris brought up we were talking earlier don't breathe which I think is the best analogy where you hold your breath mm. in this you literally do not speak any this sound in the cinema well, is unnerving me and Glenn saw this in a quiet cinema and man you noticed when like a chair would would squeak or someone munched popcorn and the audience stayed very quiet so it's great that this movie is going to make everyone shut the hell up 
Yeah, that I'm glad. So if anyone's bringing their annoying baby who cries in indefinite intervals in the cinema while they're watching this movie, kick them out. Well, that's a good segue to my main problem with this film. <laughs> okay, I, I basically agree with Glenn's take. Um, but before I get to the good, I'd like to talk about the stupidly ugly. This movie um, has a fantastic premise, which it basically milks it and uh which carries the film but so many things that happen along the way and basic ideas that are driving it are just really stupid in my opinion like the premise of the movie is that we're in this place where even the smallest sound that you make you need to stay very quiet if you make anything more than a small sound like a footstep or rummaging around to pick something up you die in this world two parent the the parents want to bring a baby into the world right why babies are the loudest hardest to keep quiet things ever that's like basically i know that you know people have reasons to want to keep life giving and all all of that life going not giving up but that's outside of the spectrum of this very small scale b movie just within this thing this place i think why the hell would you want to first of all make somebody go through the usually very loud process of of childbirth and then bring into the world something that cries and screams all the time and then is going to grow into something that can easily get killed just because it's a dumb kid. It seems like a, a ridiculous risk to take, and um, it's something totally illogical that you can't plan for all the um, all the little things that can go wrong in a place where everything needs to maximally be planned. And if that was the one dumb thing about the movie, I could just say, okay, suspension of disbelief, we go with the premise. But all throughout, details that are used to ratchet up the tension or to make set pieces work, make no sense if you actually stop to think about them. The movie seems to break its own rules sometimes in order to set up bigger scares. It's really not a movie that you should think too hard about. However, it's fantastically directed. The set pieces are really well put together. I was surprised because, you know, it's a very strong showing from an actor-turned-director. Yeah, he milks the suspense. There's some beautiful imagery and beautiful cinematography. Um, I just didn't find it, the emotional side of the movie to be very convincing, nor did I find much of the writing to be convincing. All right, to pick up on a couple of your points, but to take exception to the first thing you said on the baby, I can accept that the plot, to a very large extent, pivoted on this baby coming to the world. Mm. And I accept that they did show, to some extent, them taking precautions to deal with this. The mm. issue I took was that halfway through the film, we learned something about the situation, about the monsters, which takes us in a very different direction to view how we could address this. We're not going to ruin it, but essentially it offers a world of possibilities, not just for them, but other families and groups who obviously do exist in this world and are shown to exist for how to deal with this, which are not explored and alternative, which would make a lot more sense. And I feel the world of possibilities that this film evokes and sets up is much more interesting than a lot of the actual yeah, premise. Yeah, because the movie is a very contained, essentially a B-movie. It's about like a small space, small amount of time, um, all the little things that can go wrong, keep the budget low, keep it tight and suspense-driven. But yeah, the the premise brings to mind a lot of interesting ideas that I'd rather see on screen than the actually fairly derivative of a lot of recent horror movies, like, for example, Signs or War of the Worlds movie that we actually get. Actually, to respond to one of your earlier issues about the baby which is 
a very interesting point. I have two philosophical sort of abstract takes on that. The the first thing is just, I know, it, it's setting up the conceit that, yes, allowed babies are obviously a plot device, so you have that issue to deal with. So the movie has to move along, and there's this obstacle, which is this loud, you know, annoying object, which is now bringing into this world. The movie kind of cheats to... around that, but we won't yeah. get into that because of spoiler territory. That, that's one. But the more important thing, I think, and which is, I think, the more interesting parable, which this movie is, which is about parenthood and actually trying to somehow, you know, preserve the best qualities and morality of what being a parent is. I agree. Like, do we bring people into the world even though they're going to suffer? All of that is very interesting and outside of the scope of what the movie presents, but I think just within the scope of this absolute hellhole where so many horrible things happen within, um, you know, a couple of days, it makes no sense. Yeah, but it just does not make sense to want to bring a baby into the world. No, like, in all likelihood, you're going to die during child during labor in a world where no sounds can be made but it, it's not I don't it's just th- so unlikely that survive, you'd survive yeah it's, I don't think it's just that I think it's, it's actually a parallel about today and our times today where a lot of people do feel that that nihilistic sentiment that you know why should you know we're the worst time possible and we do feel that crushing sense that what is the point of bringing children I think a lot of people our age group I wish feel, the movie engaged with this yeah I think a lot of people and do feel that a lot of people our age group should not bring children into the world because there is no man, sort of it despair. would be great to see the characters just discuss that and, but, yeah. but on that the whole film the whole premise of the film and how it treats its characters and I do think there's actually a consistent code is about it punishes characters when they go against natural instincts childbirth is one instinct characters being shown to punish for any number of reasons in the film and their characters shown to be upstanding and moral, and when they do something that they that goes in that direction, and it's such a different a conundrum for a horror film because usually it's the exact opposite. It is interesting and it works well into the premise. I did appreciate that, even if some of the production design and how they ended up setting traps or whatever, uh, in terms of the plot, didn't exactly work out as Chris alluded to. I wish they just spent more time on the characters and less time on dumb things that don't make sense. So that is A Quiet Place. It is in cinemas now. Uh, we'll be back next week talking about festivals and soon about the probably the biggest film of the year, Avengers Infinity War. But yes, uh, we are going through the supporters drive, so please do donate to 2SCR.com slash donate. Otherwise, we'd not be able to do this wonderful show and bring film to you fine people every week. And even if you hate us, I'm sure you'll agree there's other great shows on 2SCR that need your support. But we're the best. <laughs> Don't forget number one. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we, yeah, we have to, yeah. And But there's Sages, there's all the amazing music shows, there's The Wire, there's amazing current the affairs The best programs. political commentary you get on FM radio. In, is by us. Yeah. <laughs> Probably <laughs> even extending it to AM. But, the you Gristle know. on Friday afternoons. Yeah, exactly. Got to throw in some self-promotion. Yes, uh, there's Final Draft, which discusses books. There's a book nerd. I, I love that show. Andrew is a fantastic, fantastic person. So that is 2SCR.com slash donate. There's Glenn Falconstein, Brotnay, Chris Evans. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night. Bye. Bye.